Welcome, friends. On behalf of the Presbyterio San Fernando, I am delighted to have you as part of our regular conversations. Our Presbytery is a community of churches and ministries that is seeking to be part of Christ's mission with faithfulness, joy, humility, and courage in the northwest part of the Los Angeles area and beyond. I hope that you enjoy this dialogue. And please feel free to learn more about us by visiting our website at sfpresby.org. Thank you so much for listening. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Nick Warnes. I'm on Presbytery staff, and I am the director of Cyclical LA. And we are here today with Manny Flores. I'm sure many of you know him. We'll give him a proper introduction here in just a minute. But before we get going, a couple things. First, if you could just share your name and what brings you here today in the chat bar, we would really love that. We would appreciate that. And then also, in case you didn't know, March 6th is a big day for our presbytery. There's been a big group of us planning a conference about the future of the church as we go through and out of COVID. It's called the Horizons Conference. In that conference, we've brought in Alan Hirsch, who was on this webinar a couple of, uh, a couple of webinars ago. He also uh, is a very influential author in my life, and I'm just really grateful that Juan uh, went over and above to bring him in. We'll also be working with some of our very own, with uh, Jerry North, with uh, Rob Douglas, with Bethany McKinney-Fox, and with Jack Irwin, uh, along with some fun creative exercises we're going to do. So, in case you didn't know, March 6th, it's like four hours. I think it's 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. I'm sure Casey can throw the link to sign up for that conference in on the chat bar. And uh, yeah, if you would consider joining us, we sure would appreciate that. Plus, you get a sweet goodie bag when you sign up. You're going to get a couple books and all sorts of fun activities there, too. So a little bonus gift there for you. All right. All that said, um, for those of you that don't know Manny, I'm here with Manny Flores. Manny, would you just take a quick minute, introduce yourself, and then we're going to show a pretty remarkable video that Manny put together about his work. Yeah, um, thank you so much for this invitation. I'm really excited to be here. My name is Manny Flores, Executive Director of North Valley Caring Services, as well as Oikos 445 Ministry. Great, thanks for that, Manny. We look forward to diving in deep with you about changing neighborhoods and how to lead in the midst of changing neighborhoods. At the beginning of COVID-19 stay at home order, uh, NVCS was asked to ramp up services. Uh, we would do 400, uh, we would get food out to 400 families on an average in a week. Uh, we went from 400 families to over 4,000 families through a two day process. Uh, giving food on campus, as well as supporting other agencies who are also giving food out. These are our volunteers that we see here, and um, they really have uh, stood out as being heroes during this entire time. Uh, since day one of stay-at-home order, uh, they showed up. I think we were the only food pantry in San Fernando Valley that was open that week. Uh, it was it was tough, you know, uh, people weren't quite sure what to expect. There was so many unknowns regarding the pandemic and yet they showed up. And um, I think at this point we have over 90 food pantries that we have done since the stay at home order with a core of volunteers over 40 that show up three, four times a week just to get this done. Uh, we're very blessed to have uh, a large donor base for in-kind donations. So whether it's the LA Regional Food Bank uh, Men Poverty Inc., uh, Children's Hunger Fund, or Walmart Neighborhood Market. We always have plenty of food. I think Nick is frozen up already, Casey. Hey, everybody. Welcome. Uh, I think Nick here. <clears throat> we'll get Nick back on soon. But Manny, hey, one of the things, uh, when Nick gets back on, one of the things that I would love for you to talk about is um, not only the food pantry, 
but I know Nick has some questions for you. Um, can you maybe share on a day-to-day -day, um, basis what North Valley is doing? Um, everything from Collectivo, just for a few minutes. Um, and maybe, oh, there's Nick. All right, you all, internet problems at home. Apologies there. <laughs> where, where were we at, Casey? Uh, he, I just asked him a question to maybe just give a quick overview of what's hap what happens during the week, kind of a week at a glance um, at North Valley. Perfect. Thank you for that. Yeah, and I'll try to keep it um, concise. So technically, North Valley Caring Services is closed. Um, yet, because of the fact that we work um, giving essential services out, like food, um, we're actually a quite busy campus right now. So whether it's our breakfast program um, for the less fortunate, um, the homeless population of uh, Northeast San Fernando Valley, we're doing showers, grabbing go bags, uh, the food pantry that we already mentioned, as well as prepared meals to homeless families that are housed in motels in San Fernando uh, Valley. And also something that we did, I think that was very special was um, we created a classroom to support children who would otherwise have fallen through the cracks, whether it be nice. uh, too many kids in a household, uh, unstable Wi-Fi, um, or basically a parent who cannot support their children going to school. So what we've demonstrated is um, a baseline that even prior to COVID, our kids are excelling through this model that we have, which is basically um, volunteers and teachers working really closely with the children. I love it, Manny. And uh, just maybe to further get our audience here acquainted with your work, like what brought you to NVCS? How'd you land there? And can you tell us a little bit about your neighborhood before we get into kind of change management and how we lead in the midst of dynamic and changing neighborhoods? Yeah, you know, God's sovereignty is just amazing. You know, he brought us to this particular community a year before I took on a job at NVCS. And we actually worked a food pantry, my wife and I, and we had a horrible time at it. We saw the worst in humanity. Uh, we saw those who needed the most um, not be given services. And also we saw that, um, you know, the people that worked the pantry would typically take the best of, you know, what was being offered. Um, through a process of basically just looking for a job, uh, I was led to um, this particular job opening at North Valley Caring Services for a volunteer coordinator. Uh, I really wanted to take a job somewhere else and I figured I'd apply as a, a gap measure. But um, Yvette Pineda, who was a director before at NBCS, put me through an interview process that um, was amazing. Um, you know, having a 20 year gap of employment because I spent 20 years in prison was something that um, was very significant to her, but not enough to disqualify me from the job. And I can recall her saying that I was the worst candidate she has ever seen on paper. And yet she kept <laughs> the interview process going uh, to the point where we had a referral in common. And maybe three or four uh, meetings later, she offered me the job. And not having any volunteers to coordinate, um, she basically said, go out there, find out what the neighborhood needs, and uh, start to build it. And just don't get me fired in the process. <laughs> yeah. I didn't have so much knowledge of North Hills. Um, it was weird to me that, uh, you know, a community that is basically three square miles um, has two neighborhood councils. So that was something that right away spoke out to me as there being inequality in our neighborhood. Right. As of the 405 freeway, you have an affluent community with properties ranging over a million dollars. Okay. And yet east of the 405 freeway, you have an impoverished community in transition. You have uh, people living really close together, um, overpopulated. Um, you might have nine people in a one-bedroom apartment, maybe um, extended family members having to pitch in uh, to pay the rent. Uh, many people who migrate from Central America, they come into this neighborhood. And, um, you know, it's a neighborhood because of Sepulveda Boulevard that is notoriously known for prostitution, human trafficking, um, and also churches. There are plenty of churches in the neighborhood, many of right. them being storefront pop-up churches, um, but it's also a great place to, um, to minister in, I think. 
Yeah, I mean, for those of you that don't know um, all that Manny has built over the years, I would encourage you to do some research on that. You can even watch the news. Manny is on the news all the time. Uh, basically, if you see Manny around, get his autograph because this guy has built up something that literally impacts thousands and thousands of people in his neighborhood. All, of course, Manny, like you would be the first one to say, um, because of God's grace. Amen. And I, appreci- I appreciate that about you so much. So now for our, our listeners, so we have a group of people on here. We're all part of churches that are a part of neighborhoods. <clears throat> and those neighborhoods are, are changing and shifting and have been changing and shifting since the churches were planted. Let's get going on thinking about how we work with our neighbors, especially in the midst of the dynamism of those neighborhoods. So Manny, when we talked before, you talked a lot about leading with vulnerability and with humility. Now, for a lot of people, that's a bit of a leap. That's a bit bit of a step. Um, But why is it that when we first started discussing this, we've been talking about this for years now, but what is it about humility? What is it about vulnerability that allows you to lead so well in your changing neighborhood? Yeah, so, you know, I think we all as humans want to be led by somebody who is more intelligent than us and that would convince us that they have the answers for the current times or the situation that we may be going through. But last I heard of, we haven't had a pandemic in over 100 years. So no one's qualified (laughs) to deal with a pandemic. And, you know, I think the vulnerability comes when when you are very honest with yourself and those who um, that you are leading, whether consciously or unconsciously, that, you know, we're living in a very fast-paced world and we don't have all the answers. Mm -hmm. You know, something as to why we're in a pandemic and why God is doing this to us our community it's something that we constantly have to talk about that it's not punishment it was actually promised in the word of god that these things would they would happen that they would be um you know rumors of wars and wars and families you know pitted against each other and and something like this pandemic was surely going to happen and it's to draw us closer to god um, those kind of questions are, are relatively easy to explain hard to understand sometimes but the harder questions, I think, come just in the day-to-day issues that we might face. Right. Uh, I have found myself, you know, Manny, should I go to work? This is happening at my work. I don't feel safe. And, you know, they would expect me to be the person who counsels them and gives them the answer. When there's been times where I'm not sure I'm supposed to be going to work. <laughs> right. And I right. feel I have to be on the front lines. And there are other days that I'm guilty that I might be acting recklessly or that I might be putting my family in jeopardy. And so to be really honest with those that we are leading by saying that, you know, we really do have to connect with God. And I can give you my best um, personal opinion, but it's something that, you know, if you check with God and if you make a decision and you take an action step forward, then you can be comfortable that you work the right process. And it's one that may look different on the next day. But, um, you know, using that as your process, I think you can be comfortable with the outcome. Yeah, I mean, especially many of us led in situations that were really high on technical leadership. And, you know, this is something our presbytery has been talking about a lot, technical versus adaptive leadership. Technical leadership being like, there's like a distinct protocol, what you do. So, yeah, a technical leadership move would be, I'm going to work today seems very obvious, but now because everything's changed, even at a faster pace, we're having to do higher ratios of adaptive leadership where there isn't necessarily an answer for what we're supposed to be doing. So as you've noted multiple times in our relationship, the importance of vulnerability, humility, and especially how that intersects with adaptive leadership. So can you talk a little more about that? Maybe throw in a practical story about how you've led humbly, vulnerably, and then how that led to adaptive leadership moves? Yeah, I mean, so in December of 2020, I actually contracted COVID. And it was something that, um, it was scary and it really put our faith to the test. Um, I was fortunate enough to have a support system. My wife, Betty, was, um, you know, really um, involved in just caring for me. And I can recall, 
you know, at some point I felt better and I wanted to get back into the trenches uh, and go back to work because I felt like, like leadership was showing people that I needed to be there and I can get back quickly. And I could have strung it out. You know, I wasn't at my full capacity. I'm not sure that I'm at my full capacity yet, you know, but I remember talking to my operations manager, Alicia, and she was like, you need to stay home. You need to stay home for some extra days. You know, surely we can use some help, but you need to show your leadership by staying home and making sure that you're fully uh, recuperated and you're going to assist people to have confidence in you coming back and not rushing back and really um, putting people at edge. Um, it was really early on for our community. We didn't really have anybody who had tested positive for COVID. I was one of the first ones. So all of our staff and volunteers were very, very quiet. And I'm sure they had a million questions. And it was very difficult for me to stay away. But I thought that was, that was the right move to do in that current situation. Right. The, the changes that you've seen in your neighborhood didn't just happen with COVID either. I know your neighborhood's been on the move and shifting and changing. Um, I'm wondering uh, if you could share a story about an adaptation that you made um, pre-COVID and how that took shape and in, in, in doing something different at NVCS, maybe even something unexpected. Yeah. Um, so as I mentioned before, we have, um, We've had a breakfast program and a shower program for the homeless, um, which they depend on. Um, you know, whether it's food or a shower, there's something so important with the service. And uh, for us, it could have been easy for us to determine that it was just not safe enough for us to provide this, uh, this program any longer. But we also thought that, you know, if we didn't continue to provide the service or if we didn't open up a new program to be able to service um, this population that they were going to fall through the cracks. And, um, you know, quite frankly, we thought people dying on the street. So what we did was we established a grab and go program. We continued with our SHAR program. We brought in so many different um, uh, sort of um, uh, equipment and uh, procedures to be able to make sure that we were keeping both our staff and volunteers, as well as those that we serve, uh, keep them safe. And the other thing we provided was a space for us to figure out if one of our clients had COVID, we had the resources to quickly be able to get them quarantined in a motel and really try to isolate um, that exposure. I mean, it seems like you've done an exceptional job of creating a culture of experimentation. I know you all are trying new things all the time, and I'm wondering uh, if that is true, and uh, if if there's uh, if there's any tips you might give us people who are trying to do the same thing for like how do, how do you experiment and how do you uh, figure out if it's working or not and like finish something if it didn't work on the experiment and finish it well um, versus if it's working and then how do you like scale it up and keep running with it. Yeah, so it's really an ongoing conversation at NBCS right now. Um, since we have done so much work in 2020, now we have to figure out what's going to be sustained. For me, the call of God has always been threefold. It's always been, um, you know, a person of God asks you for help and you try to be there. And you try to answer that call. Um, it's also been God himself. You know, those of us who have heard God audibly, you know, call us to do something. Praise God. And the last thing is when you identify a need. And when you identify a need and you try to step up and you try to, to service that need, whether it's educational, whether it's spiritual, whether it's uh, humanitarian, something like food or showers, um, I think that's the call of God. In the process, you will see it flourish. You will see obstacles. You pass those obstacles. At some point, you hit enough roadblocks and you're talking to God and you might figure out that it was for a season. It was for a time. Or simply, it wasn't the call of God. And you have to be humble enough not to try to reinvent or to try to make excuses as to why it worked or didn't work. But really just, you know, regroup and, you know, head back to God and figure out what was that call of God for your life. I think for me, it's constant humility. It's being open with people and um, being willing to step out in faith and not recklessly, I think is something that's always um 
something that MVCS is trying to do. For some of us, um, we are not um, religious enough. So some church members that want to do outreach through MVCS might come through and they might pick apart our program and say, wow, you know, we sure love to hear you guys singing or holding hands or praying as a group. Uh, and for others who are just looking to do social service work at NBCS, they might come through and say, hey, why are you guys praying? Why do you guys invoke God? Why do you guys give him credit for this? Is this not a, a non-religious organization? Uh, for us, we really do take it back to the Book of Acts. And we really recognize that this is more the type of work that was being done then than the church work that has been you know, happening in the last few decades. Yeah, I mean, again, your just foundation of, of humility and vulnerability um, stands out in that answer. Uh, and, you know, in a lot of like the for-profit world, people who are creating cultures of experimentation, people who are starting new initiatives, um, people who are you know, just trying new things in the midst of their existing corporations, there's this like um, fail fast motif that um, is, is almost welcomed in my life. I don't know. I have a little trouble with it, especially when you intersect it with people of faith. And when people, it's, it's a vulnerable spot when you feel called by God or your community feels called by God to try something new. Um, churches have a tendency uh, to, um, to, to just keep pressing, to keep doing the same thing over and over again because it was a call from God. And I get that. Like, I resonate with that. Um, so it just makes it, if, if in my experience, it feels like it's trickier for churches when they want to make a move. Uh, and hopefully our churches make moves, make, you know, do new things, try new things. That's going to be key for the growth of our Presbyterian moving forward. Um, but what, what advice would you give to churches who have discerned a call from God to do something? Uh, and how do you handle that? Like uh, as a, as a community of faith, when that thing that you're called to actually doesn't go well. Yeah. So I think the first thing you do is you want to quantify what going well means. You'll want to establish Who's going to define success? So I, I often find myself talking to pastors who they have these little storefront, storefront congregations and they might have 10 to 15 people. And, you know, every once in a while, you know, a pastor will tell me how they feel and, you know, they've been working towards building a congregation. And almost it seems like it's a failure because they only, quote unquote, have 10 to 15. But going through the process and asking them how spiritually healthy these 15 people are, um, how engaged are they with worship and with working in the community, um, you know, the, the pastor might tell me, you know, they're, they're super well, but, you know, they qualify their success by how many people they have in the church. And for me, I think it's just constantly going back and measuring your work by your process. Did you include Christ in this process, whether by study, by praying, by seeking out advice um, within our community, um, then you're able to measure, um, you know, your faithfulness in, in whatever um, new venture that you might be looking for. Yeah, I mean, uh, things are changing so fast. And, and we were already kind of looking for new metrics in our churches beyond uh, people and pews and donations. Uh, so, what kind of metrics um, might you recommend um, for measuring the quote unquote success of new initiatives when people try new things? Uh, what kind of metrics would you recommend um, over and against just like people attending and money in the bucket? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think part of what God might be doing through this pandemic is really kicking the church in the cush a little bit because we do Sunday worship really well. There are things that I think we have fallen asleep at the wheel at. Um, and, and for us here in, in California, I think it's our immediate community right outside the door. Um, again, I, I reflect on the fact, you know, is what we have built, is it, does it measure up to the spirit and truth of the word? You know, not legally, because, you know, for that crowd, uh, God's going to save who he's going to save, and we don't have to build anything not recklessly for those who are so spiritual that they're just building and building and building and building. And God forbid that he comes back and we're building something. You know, I think we shared last time that, you know, for the, for the church to feel that they are faithfully acting um, 
you know, in a certain way towards their community and, and really um, stepping up to um, what is required. I think we have to stay ready. We have to stay um, prepared um, for um, adaptability and quick change in our neighborhood. And I, I know that you brought up, you know, the 10 virgins and uh, the oil as to some churches have just been mailing it in over time. And now we're here, we're at the pandemic, we're here and um, we really need to step out and we need to have courage to be able to create new things. It may not all look like NVCS. There are neighborhoods where NVCS will not work. You shouldn't try to model NVCS. You should see um, what's available in your community. Yeah. And one of the things I often do when starting a program, I look for those who are not advocated for. I look for the most vulnerable and I try to find a way to service that particular hmm. population. Yeah, uh, the the frame we often use um, for the lack of cookie cutterness of these initiatives, right? Like what you said, what people are doing in La Cunada is going to be different than what people are doing in Sherman Oaks is going to be different than people are doing in North Hills. Uh, th there is no equation for how to do this, except you have noted an equation when I've talked with you and you've talked about the equation is the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the consistency in the midst of all these unknowns. There's so many unknowns. Uh, one thing that we do have is uh, the Holy Spirit with us to, to be discerned and to follow. Uh, we can trust the Holy Spirit's in front of us, carving a pathway forward and it, it just takes some time and discernment and some courage to get out there and try and follow that well. So yeah, overall, I just, I appreciate how you, you identify this is not a cookie cutter kind of thing. Uh, I wish we could just be on here and give an equation for what to do. Uh, yeah. The equation seems like this, like pray <laughs> together, go create some experiments and go for it and see what yeah, happens. And, and um, I'll tell you something. Uh, once you start to get involved, it really does become contagious. And, uh, you know, once you are in that path of life that God has carved out for you, um, it becomes something that, um, I'll give you an example. You know, early on, we had to stop doing outreach to the street because it was, quite frankly, too dangerous. Um, we're almost a year into this, and my wife, Betty, and I, we've just been in constant discussions that we have to get back out there. Like it's something that fills us. We're almost, um, you know, embarrassed that by giving food to people and fellowshipping with them in their environment, we get filled. Mm -hmm. We come home, it, it helps our week. It helps us um, to be able to have perspective. I mean, there's, there's so much of a blessing that happens when we step out of our comfort zone. Yeah, our very own Rob Douglas in our presbytery uh, has famously said that innovation begets innovation. You start getting this flywheel going and innovation will continue to beget more innovation. In our, uh, in our um, preparatory uh, interview uh, for this webinar, I thought you brought up something that was really interesting for individual leaders who are on this call right now. And that's the, the work of taking a personal inventory. So how might we as leaders take a personal inventory as to our fitness for doing this hard work of vulnerability, of humility and leadership, of adaptive change, uh, especially in a post-industrial kind of setting we're in as we need to follow the Holy Spirit in ways that maybe we weren't thinking about 30 years ago. So tell, tell us a little more about this personal inventory and what you might recommend for each individual leader on this call. So my first experience with uh, personal inventory was in prison. And, you know, it came at a time where my life had spun out of control. And um, I was very fortunate to, to have some, some angels come into my life and, and really challenge me and educate me on the word of God. And um, one of the first things they asked me to do was to take a personal inventory of myself. How do I think I got to where I was? Who do I think I am? And what is it that I truly feel? And um, to be totally honest with you. And it was the scariest thing I've ever done is to truly be honest, you know, how I exchanged a moniker, my name for a moniker, how I became somebody who adapted to 
rules and regulations that, you know, made the gang happy, but went, went totally against what I believed in, you know, internally. And as I did that, and I was able to uh, truly come to terms with what I believe, then I feel like God could use me. Uh, prior to that, there was still so many blockages and uh, so much, um, I think, self-insecurity um, uh, that, you know, God was still not able to move me in a direction that was pleasing to him. So it's something that I do periodically. It really is to take a, a moment and stop. You know, I stop and I think, you know, the things that I'm involved in, why am I involved in them? And who does it glorify? And what am I doing by rote? What am I just mailing in? And also, um, you know, what are the things that I want to affirm? And again, every once in a while, every time I find something that I know I need to change. It's something that I know that I, I incurred along the road. And then I have to go back and I have to face it. I have to fix it. Um, and only then can I be sure that I'm totally in the moment, that I'm totally yeah. invested, and that God is walking alongside of me. And yeah, that's your preparedness. We talked about that, right? You're 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 doing a personal inventory to make sure that you're prepared for the moment when uh, God nudges you and says, "Okay, you got to do this thing." Without that inventory, maybe our, our preparedness uh, isn't isn't in place. Back to those ten virgins, right? That's five right. of the virgins didn't bring oil for their candle, and five did. Uh, it's I think of, of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, you know, quite frankly and honestly, if uh, I get a word from God right now that I'm supposed to go outside and go up to a car that I have no business going up to to ask that person about their faith. I'm, I'm probably not prepared enough right in this moment right now to go sure. do that. So Philip's story seems to be one of preparedness as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just, I love that intersection between self-inventory for the purpose of preparedness. Yeah, and I, I can give you another example, which is something I'm dealing with um, at this particular time. And it's, it's a friend of ours. His name is Javier. And um, he's a brother in Christ, I have no doubt. But he's battling with drugs, uh, with meth. And, you know, my exchanges with him have been maybe two years now, and we've connected him to resources. We've prayed, we've cried, and uh, I've come to the point at times where I feel like I'm, I'm enabling him, I'm angry with him, I'm, I'm frustrated with him, I've ignored his calls. And if it weren't for the inventory, I couldn't be honest with myself as to what's bothering me. And then I couldn't turn to God and say, hey, fix this thing that's bothering me so that I can do right by Javier, you know, and uh, it's still quite frustrating, but it also is, is the Holy Spirit leading me in how to deal with him. And sometimes I have regret, like I should have answered that call. Or I should have not been stern with him. I should have been kind with him. Um, but thank God that um, even when we mess up, uh, you know, he's he's constantly working on us and he loves Javier enough not to leave him dependent on me. But um, today Javier is at NBCS and he's volunteering and he's been clean for a week. And uh, I think it started with accepting a phone call and encouraging him and once again trying to get him into rehab. But I can't imagine not taking the inventory and being honest with myself so I could be honest with God. And then expect myself to work with Javier in any way other than, um, you know, I'm done with you, move on, or just enable him constantly. That's a perfect story. Thank you for that. Uh, we're about 1239 right now. Um, if you want to start filing up some questions, those of you that are on this call with us, uh, Manny is going to um, take some questions here. I have a couple more that I want to make sure we touch on. Um, yeah, if you want to be reflecting on any questions you might want to ask Manny about NVCS or about his changing neighborhood, about his leadership in it, um, please feel free to write that down in the chat bar. Uh, but let's get um, kind of my final set of questions, Manny, is around actually getting to know your neighbors. So there's that, which I think a lot of us have a lot to work, a lot of work to do on. So just the getting to know neighbors, uh, but not getting to know neighbors just for the purposes of getting to know neighbors, 
but getting to know neighbors for the purpose of trusting them as this is in the, the academic frame is getting to know them as mutual subjects of God's activity. So we're trusting that God is actually on the move in our neighbor's lives in order that we can function in a mutual relationship with our neighbors and f- figure out what God's doing in the context, right? So before we get to neighbors as mutual subjects, let's just talk about getting to know our neighbors. Um, what, 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 you have some tips there, some thoughts there. I know you've got some vulnerable stories there. Uh, anything you might want to share? Yeah, I have an extreme spectrum. So for most of us, it means my neighbor in the house next door. But my neighbors are the people I serve. My neighbors might be the homeless. If Betty and I are out in the community, someone will be like, man, hey, that's you. What's up? And um, It's scary. It's scary. Most of us are more comfortable giving a service um, to somebody and really at yeah, a distance good with a yeah. non-commitment. Right. God doesn't call us to be that way. Mm-hmm. And I will confess to you that I'm not ready to bring every homeless person to my house or to be overly familiar with everybody that I serve. And so again, with that inventory, I'm constantly talking to God, but I'm also taking steps out in faith, mm-hmm. taking steps out in faith that God expects me to do more than feed, uh, you know, give showers to people. He wants me to, to meet people, to know them. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have had amazing stories of, you know, people who have been considered the most down and out of our community mm-hmm. and actually be loving, passionate people hardworking, you know, intellectuals, uh, brothers in the faith, brothers and sisters in the faith. And when it comes to work, when it becomes uh, something that we give success to NBCS, we could not do it without our neighbors. Uh, We could not do it without all of the help of our volunteers and people that come through the agency. A lot of our people come through for services and they stay, they come back to be able to support others. Um, but I think it really, it takes, it takes an attitude of knowing that God is going to bless you by bringing people to you and to be able to recognize that um, they have their gifts and their talents and their own leadership. And they are part of this ministry that we are building. And in some cases, they are better equipped to do something you were doing yeah. prior to their arrival. Right. Um, if you're somebody who, has to control everything, if you're somebody who has to be acknowledged first, if you're scared to lose your ministry, Mm. uh, then you'll lose out on these beautiful opportunities. Uh, For me, it's basically creating a platform. It's praying that God would bless our community and being open to to that help coming through anybody who might show up and who we see A line that you said that really stands out to me is, uh, NVCS wouldn't be what it is without our neighbors and what a gift it might be for our churches and our presbytery. If that could be one of the foundational, uh, springboards for us all to be able to jump off of our churches wouldn't be what they are without our neighbors. I worry too much that our, our, our churches become about what happens in the four walls of the church buildings Uh, what happens with regard to programs for the members of the church in those buildings uh, and without any sort of interaction uh, with neighbors. So yeah, thank you for that line. That one really sticks with me today. All right, Kurt, great question from Kurt, Manny. I don't know if you can see that. I'll read it. Uh, Kurt says, Manny, I love the fact that such a high percentage of volunteers who serve others are those who also are being served by NVCS. How do you intentionally build a culture of mutual respect and trust in the NVCS community? Great question, Kurt. I can't wait to hear this answer, Manny. Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, You know, we validate uh, people's existence. Um, We serve them. If you come to NVCS, I don't, you'd be hard pressed to know who's a volunteer and who's a staff member. Um, I think I was talking to uh, Casey about this last week that, you know, we, we have an experience where um, one of our staff members came down with COVID and, you know, HIPAA tells you to work a certain way and, you know, we want to do right by man, but we have so many volunteers around our agency that we felt compelled to just let some people know that they might want to go get tested <clears throat> because one of our staff members came contagious. Uh, and I think they appreciated the fact that we didn't keep it a secret. We didn't, you know, uh, disregard their lives. 
we really were looking out for them as we would like to be looked after. Uh, we feel that, you know, we use a collective cooperative model that is really in line with the Bible. And that if we build up our community, our community will then reach back uh, to the center and to the other uh, populations and be um, a product. They will be a process of building someone else up. And uh, the narratives and the storylines that come out of there are amazing. And for some, it's uncomfortable because you would like to have a hands-off approach to serving people. To others, uh, when they realize that they are actually working side by side with people who are in our programs, I think they're amazed at the quality of people um, that are at MECs. Another question here, uh, more of a technical one from Robert Cox. Welcome, Robert. Good to see you again. Uh, he asks us, where does the food come from and where is the video taken at a church building? So a couple of questions for you there. Yeah, so, um, you know, I didn't have any experience with starting the food pantry and uh, quickly found out there are politics, even with food and helping people. Um, NBCS started off with 10 boxes of food uh, four years ago. And now we're the largest single food distribution site in San Fernando Valley. Um, knocking on a lot of doors, um, being willing to pick up where others were not willing to pick up. Uh, we quickly ingratiated ourselves to the major donors of food that comes into Alley County. Hmm. Uh, and uh, we're blessed for that. And we acknowledge that it's because God wanted the food to come into this community. And there is a certain stewardship that comes through this, um, as I mentioned before. Uh, LA Regional Food Bank is a large partner of ours, um, San Fernando Valley Rescue Mission, uh, Children's Hunger Fund, Men Poverty Inc., and Mend Inc. Um, they provide for us uh, approximately um, 70 to 80,000 pounds of food a week for us to Amazing. be able to eat. Uh, two things I want to highlight there about, about what you just said. The first is... Um, I'll say it this way, something maybe a little more interesting. The anti-BHAG. Do you know what a BHAG is? Have you ever heard of a BHAG? A, a, a BHAG is from this book called Good to Great. It's the it's an acronym for the Big, Hairy, Audacious Goal. So I would just like to note that you did not start with a BHAG. You started with 10 boxes of food, and then you scaled that up. And I cannot affirm this anymore. If we can please just leave the BHAG as a part of our leadership past, and we could be people who start small and grow into what we're becoming, that's such a better way to do innovation. So thank you for that. The second thing I heard you talk about too was shrewdness. You got in there in relationships with the people you knew you needed to get in there with in order to accomplish the goals that were emerging in front of you for the purposes of feeding more people. And that's hard work. You had to get political. You had to, I mean, I bet you had stories there about how you accomplished this. Um, so weekly, yeah, thank you for that shrewd work. Sorry, on a weekly basis, I'll have somebody show up and say, hey, I want to start a food bank. And they want us to put them on pallets and to deliver, um, not knowing that the way we started was picking up um, organic food. Nobody wanted to pick up organic food. Hmm. And it's because the shelf life of organic food is not very long. Right. But for us, it was a stepping stone. And uh, again, we were willing to do the hard work and pay our dues along the way. Uh, and then doors open for us, for sure. Amazing. Thank you for that. Mike Harbert says that he loves the idea of combining personal inventories with preparedness. Uh, he has a <laughs> practical question for you, Manny. Just in case you didn't have anything else to do, can you make such an inventory available as a written resource for our Presbyterian leaders? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Nothing so, like putting you on the spot on that one. <laughs> you know, um, there are definitely templates on things to ask oneself, but an inventory is so personal and scary that, um, you know, of course we can put something together. Um, but, you know, I think at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, you know, what wouldn't I want somebody to know about myself? I do this in interviews all the time when we're hiring somebody. After I say, what would, what would the most shocking thing on your social media be? Mm -hmm. My next question is, what question have I asked you that you would ask yourself in this interview? Mm -hmm. um, you know, inventories are so personal. 
And once you have the results of your inventory, I mean, you might do them more than once just to make sure that you were honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. You'll have to pray to figure out what you do with that inventory. For mm-hmm. me, it was the scariest thing ever. I had to deal with gang membership. I had to deal with manipulation. I had to deal with the fact that I am an insecure person. Mm. Those of you who know me know that I'm social. I talk to people. I put on a front. I try to be everything that people want me to be. But at the end of the day, a lot of that comes from my insecurity. Mm. And knowing that, then I can go back to scripture. I can go back to God's promises that I am created um, in a very special divine way. And God loves me and gave his life for me. But if I'm not willing to bring that front and center, and I have to be careful who I share that with, because once I tell somebody I'm insecure, then, you know, I'm, I'm open season for people. Mm-hmm. Again, the vulnerability. Thank you for that, Manny. Uh, Jaime Lazaro, pastor of La Iglesia de Panorama City, says, I want to highlight the big heart that Manny has for the Latino Hispanic community. Manny has always responded when we have asked him for support for the people Longlacia de Panorama City. Thank you for that comment, Jaime. Any additions there, Manny, you want to say? Yeah, only that, um, you know, North Hills is a very special place to, to do ministry from. We have new people, uh, mostly from Central America, who have come into our neighborhood. And, uh, you know, coming from these countries, it's real uh, individualistic, uh, even though. Um, you know, there's large number of family members, um, you know, things have not been assured to them. So if there's food, it's get all you can. If there is, um, you know, any consideration, it's always based on the fact that there were no assurances for them. So for us to convince a neighborhood that uh, we're better off collectively and cooperatively, takes a lot of work and, um, it takes a lot of commitment and showing up, but, um, I I'm so happy that, Know, partners like Hyman uh, were able to work together and really use um, food and other resources as a way to get to know people yeah. and to then start right. breaking down some of those boundaries. Yeah, I mean, this is back to the neighbors is mutual subjects motif, right? You, um, it, this, this, this could be rough to say. Let me know if it is. Um, the actual work of of giving food is is cheap and easy. The hard work is actually getting to know people in a way where you have a a mutual relationship together. Would you say that's accurate? For sure. You know, and and sometimes I have these conversations where uh, I had a pastor come through and we gave him food. And um, he said, when do you pray with the the families in the cars? And I said, we don't. We cannot. That's dangerous. You know, there could be an accident. One of my volunteers can get hurt. And I looked at him and he was so disappointed. He almost felt like, Food is just not enough. And I would agree with him that food is not enough. But um, the process of food and the instrument of food has really allowed us to get to know people. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody like our friend Rosario today, um, her father passed away. She immigrated here 18 years ago and has not seen her father live uh, in those 18 years. And he passed away last week. And um, for me to be able to minister her, to her the promises of God. Mm -hmm. Um, She says, Manny, I'm skeptical and I'm more angry with God today than ever. But Mm -hmm. my dad was a believer. He was a Christian. Mm -hmm. I said, well, let me tell you what your dad believed in. You know, Mm -hmm. to be outside of the body is to be in the presence of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And uh, for him, it wasn't an ending. It was a beginning. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know he would want you to seek out God. Pray to him. Tell him you're angry. Look for him. And um, just to have the privilege to be able to minister to somebody in their vulnerability um, somebody who is, you know, at a community center. I felt that that was very endearing and a huge responsibility. Yeah, that's amazing. The, a question that uh, we always ask everyone that we interview, uh, and one that is challenging for many Christian leaders, which is interesting, is this. The question is, tell me a story about someone you know, you know that doesn't identify as Christian, and something that you've learned from them. Not something you've taught them, but that you've learned from them. I know you can have that conversation with that woman you just spoke of because you have a trusted relationship. You can, you can say that to her. 
because you've learned from her. You've listened to her. You've allowed her life and how God has been interacting in her life to shape your life and to shape NBCS as well. So yeah, for, for those of you that are on today, that's an interesting question to ask yourself. Can you tell a story about someone you know that doesn't identify as Christian and something that you've learned from them? All right, Manny. Well, we sure appreciate your time. Um, we know you have a lot to do. We want to honor that. Uh, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, maybe further partnership with NVCS, um, maybe they just want you to coach them. I mean, whatever it might be. Um, how can people get a hold of you? What's the best way to do that? So my email is mflores, F-L-O-R-E-S, at nbcsinc.org. My cell phone number is 818-331-1761. I think I'm the only um, homeless outreach worker who gives their personal phone uh, away. And uh, my wife would um, attest that, um, you know, we get phone calls two, three in the morning. Sometimes I get what's called the butt dial. I might be the only friend on somebody's uh, uh, cell phone, and uh, some of those conversations are interesting. Uh, I'm here to serve. You guys, I, I don't have all the answers. Um, I'm a partner in this thing. Um, I would love to know how others are doing ministry and anything that they can offer our community. I will gladly uh, you know, be um, available to listen, and anything that we can do to support other communities or um just other situations, other individuals, families, we would love to try to do so. Well, we appreciate that, Manny. Manny, thank you so much. Thank you for your time here. Thank you for the way that you allow our Presbytery to partner with NVCS. Thank you for the way that you give space to so many churches in our Presbytery also to partner with you all. It means so much to our Presbytery. And uh, it, yeah, I just it's been influential on our little family of churches. So thank you for that. Uh, for those of you that are here, um, the link for the conference is in your chat bar. We really do hope that you'll uh, consider that. And we hope to launch something here that can be a, a, a hopeful and meaningful sp space that we can maybe even scale and repeat if it goes well. Moving forward for our, our Presbytery to be together in such a way that we can do a, an online conference together. Uh, looks like Casey also threw up uh, NVCS's Facebook page. So make sure to do that check that out. And uh, yeah, for those of you that are with us, we know your time is valuable. We know that you have a lot to do. And thanks for joining us in this way. Uh, we'll see you again in a couple weeks. Until then, Manny, thank you again. Thank you for having me. Take care, everybody. All right. We'll see everyone soon. Bye-bye. As we wrap up this time together, I would like to express our gratitude on behalf of the team and the people of the San Fernando Presbytery. My prayer is that it might have been helpful to you. I would like to also invite you to comment, give us some feedback, and perhaps even like this podcast or share it uh, with uh, people that you know so that we may be able to continue making it available to others. Thank you so much, and God bless you.